0: So uh, I'm going to read uh, the uh, Hebrew scripture here. And um, I'm going to make a plug. Uh, So uh, the new scripture stops, I think, at 12. Read on to 20 um, because it's just, and I know Chris knows this far better than me because he actually just referenced the Bible. I always have to read it. Um, But it's... um, it's interesting because you'll see the tension that I was like struggling with cuz he it teachers all over this and it's just it's just interesting so anyway all right um, our first scripture reading this morning is from the 3rd chapter of Micah found on page 814 in the Old Testament of your Pew Bible it is Micah 3.35 through 12 I'm just such a bad Christian okay um <laughs> So sorry. Okay. 3, 5 through 12. Okay. Thus says the Lord concerning the prophets who lead my people astray, who cry, peace, when they have something to eat, but declare war against those who put nothing in their mouths. Therefore it shall be night to you without vision and darkness to you without revelation. The sun shall go down upon the prophets and the day shall be black over them. The seers shall be disgraced and the diviners put to shame. They shall all cover their lips, for there is no answer from God. But as for me, I am filled with power, with the Spirit of the Lord, and with justice and might declare to Jacob his transgression and to Israel his sin. Hear this, you rulers of the house of Jacob and chiefs of the house of Israel who abhor justice and pervert all equity. Who build Zion with blood and Jerusalem with wrong. Its rulers give judgment for a bribe. Its priests teach for a price. Its prophets give oracles for money. Yet they lean upon the Lord and say, Surely the Lord is with us. No harm shall come upon us. Therefore, because of you, Zion, shall be plowed as a field. Jerusalem shall become a heap of ruins. And the mountain of the house a wooded height.
1: May God bless the reading and hearing of his word. We continue in the 23rd chapter of Matthew, verses 1 through 12. Jesus said to the crowd, to his disciples, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit in Moses' seat, so you must be careful to do everything they tell you. But do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to lift a finger to move them. Everything they do is done for people to see. They make their phylacteries wide and the tassels of their garments long. They love the place of honor at banquets and the most important seats in the synagogues. They love to be greeted with respect in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. But you are not to be called rabbi, for you have one teacher, and you are all brothers. Do not call anyone on earth father, for you have one father, and he is in heaven. Nor are you to be called instructors, for you have one instructor, the Messiah. The greatest among you will be your servant, for those who exalt themselves will be humbled. Those who humble themselves will be exalted." The Gospel of the Lord. Uh, Join your hearts with me in prayer. We pray, O Lord, for our capacity to hear. And while I'm the one acoustically doing all the talking, we are all listening. And so may your word come to our ears. For you alone have the words of eternal life. Amen. Uh, It's almost a great national pastime. Uh, It is the capacity to point out inconsistencies in those who are in authority, right? A gaffe, a breaking of the rules, a moral failure. Someone who sanctimoniously lords power over us and then we find something that they're doing that isn't right. Boris Johnson, Boris Johnson, the former Prime Minister of Great Britain, ordered strict lockdowns for the countries in 2021 through the holiday season, but then was pictured showing giant maskless parties at Number 10 Downing Street for his staff and for their families. And the inconsistency ultimately ended up in scandals that uh, ended his leadership. It was either that or else inexplicably bad hair. <laughs> Remember the first time you saw your fourth grade teacher smoking? Uh, I don't know if that happened to you. It happened to me. And Mrs. Blankenau, Mrs. Blankenau would uh, hand out a bunch of uh, worksheets to the fourth grade class and say, okay, now you need to do these worksheets on division or state capitals or something. And then she'd run down the hall to the teacher's lounge that, when you could actually smoke in the teacher's lounge. Uh, and she'd have a quick cigarette, and, it, and, and I remember on office duty, which meant we had a small school, and so there was no paraprofessional to answer the phone. And so I was designated that day. It was perceived as an offer to do, an honor to do office work without compensation. Um, <laughs> no, don't worry, Jen. Um, and I saw her coming out, and as she was coming out, she was extinguishing her cigarette, and I thought, Oh my. Goodness, how the mighty have fallen. The inconsistencies of the morality of my fourth grade teacher and the fact that she was clearly a nicotine addict that explained why we did worksheets a lot without her in the room. The scandals, the inconsistencies, the moral failures, being in charge while at the same time being fallible. It has almost become a major form of entertainment, has it not? Almost every day you read in the paper or hear a story online Somebody who is uh, scooping prophets to their own advantage while oppressing the underlings. It makes us uniquely aware, I think, to understand both the prophet Micah and Jesus who talked about the hypocrisy of those who are in charge, prophets who sold their prophecies. Those who said it's going to be peaceful as long as they were getting fed, but as soon as they weren't getting fed, they'd say, oh my goodness, we should have war. Jesus criticizing the Sadducees and the Pharisees for their love of titles, but their unwillingness to actually be servants. This past week I was saddened to read a story online about one of these uh, gotcha moments that took a tragic turn. It was revealed about a week and a half ago that a man who was both mayor of a small Alabama town and the pastor of their Baptist church was exposed for having a second life as a transvestite online. When confronted with his Reddit and his Instagram accounts that he was managing, initially he said, no, I know nothing about them, but then in the conversation with the blogger that was interviewing, he said, no, I just lied. That is me. But I'm not hurting anyone. It's my private life. My wife knows, but it won't do any good for you to tell the rest of the community and my church, well with information like that the blogger couldn't resist and so a full expose of his double life uh, ran and initially he handled it fairly well. He pointed out that his private life had not changed the way in which he had lived his public life and took his public responsibilities. He even posted a video on Facebook where he stood in the pulpit of his church and apologized to the congregation, not for his behavior, but for the embarrassment that his behavior perhaps had brought them. Uh, It was for him an expression of this is my identity and, and who I am, and I don't mean to embarrass you for that. And I was rather impressed with his apology because he didn't deny, he didn't bob or weave. He didn't distance himself. He merely said to people if they were made to feel uncomfortable. He was responsible and he was sorry. But things shifted. Concerned about his mental health, a few days later the police were called to do a wellness check. And he was driving in his truck just a little bit outside of town and they pulled him over really just to check and see if it was okay. They pulled him over, he got out, produced a handgun. And took his own life. Is that what this is about? Is that what we're supposed to be doing as the underlings who catch those who are over us in some sort of inconsistency of sin? To embarrass them to the point of full humiliation? To, to poke at them in order to watch them squirm as we presume they watch us squirm? Is that all there is, just the gotchaism of modern politics? Today we spoke and sang for all the saints. For all the saints who from their labors rest. Jesus' rebuke of the scribes and the Pharisees seems familiar to our ears. They do all their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long. Yes, I'll give you a momentary explanation. A phylactery was a small scriptural box that hung on a, on a headband on the forehead of the Jewish faithful. Uh, it contained just a, a verse of scripture, usually what is known as the Shema, Hear, O Israel, the Lord your God is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all their heart and soul and mind. It was written on a small piece of paper and then folded up and then placed in a small medallion that would hang on the forehead of the faithful. And because the verses that follow in that passage in Deuteronomy 6 says that you shall write them on your hand, they shall be upon your heart, you shall teach them diligently to your children. You shall talk of them when you're in your house and when you walk on the way and when you lie down. You will bind them for a sign upon your hand and they shall be as frontlets between thine eyes and you shall write them on the posts of the house and on the gates. If you go to a home of a faithful Jewish uh, person you will often find on the doorpost as you walk into their home something called a mezuzah on one of the one of the doorposts of the house and it's the same verse of scripture placed in a in a little decorative container on the door, a decorative container. oddly enough, It was just that annoying reminder if you take your finger and keep tapping your head like a little torture. um, It was so that between your eyes your remembrance of God's oneness was what colored your world. Except for the Pharisees they wanted to uh, double down on their faithfulness. If you wear a little phylactery I'm going to wear a bigger phylactery. I'm going to prove to you by faithfulness by having a massive phylactery. Likewise with the garments, the the tassels on their garments. In Numbers 15, when it's talking about uh, textiles and the laws associated with textiles, one of the things that the law said was that you were not to spend the extra time and effort and money to bind the edges of your clothes. Binding when it was all done by hand was a phenomenally labor-intensive activity And it was considered in the Hebrew Scriptures to be an exploitation of labor. If someone was to take their time and to hand bind all of the fabric at the edges of the cloth, that time could be spent making cloth for somebody else who needs something to wear. And so it was an extravagance that was denied the faithful. They just said a simple blue thread that would tighten up so it wouldn't unravel was all that was necessary and just kind of leave the fringe out to the world as a sign of your willingness, oddly enough, to be equal. But the Pharisees saw it as an opportunity to show off again. Their fringes were very, very long, and so that everyone would see that they were cooperating with the law. Jesus went on. They love the place of honor, the best seats in the synagogues, greeted with respect in the marketplaces, and for people to call them rabbis. Likewise, the prophet Micah, as was just read, talked about the inconsistencies of the leaders. If they're fat and happy, they say the world's at peace. If they're having a hard time, they say it's war. And we who always identify in these passages with the rabble. Notice our first reaction is, that's right, that's right. Those Pharisees, those Sadducees, those false prophets, those kings. We're immediately in the position of saying, yeah, we're the ones getting picked on here. And they're too big for their britches. They're the ones that are inconsistent. We seldom hear these verses as somehow a criticism of us. As Brian pointed out, all of us at some point are responsible for teaching. Uh, those of us who are adults, those of us who are even high school kids, we have responsibility others, do we lord it over them? With careful thought, we have to agree with the psalmist who wrote, we would be burnt by your anger, terrified by your fury if you were to summon up our sins and inspect our own secrets by your light. Our days would dwindle under your wrath. Our life would be over in a breath, over in a trice, and we are gone. The prophet and the Messiah are inviting us to consider our shared humanity that earthly power or temporal authority is not a substitute for our perpetual fallibility. Caught in some inconsistency or impropriety about ourselves, we are quick to point out and as our defense, but, but we're only human, all the while holding those of us who are above of us to higher and higher standards. The condemnation here is not what people think about them. Both the prophets and the Messiah were saying to those they were accusing, what is it you think about yourself? What happens to us when we are given just a smidgen of authority? Do we remember that we are dust? It's about those who know us best and about what they think of us. I was taken aback in an encounter in my very first congregation. It's an encounter that changed the way I do funerals and memorials forever. And since that time, I've done well over 600 of them, and every single one was colored by this encounter. There was a There was a multi-generational family in the congregation. Grandparents, parents, kids, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And one of the granddaughters, who was part of that constellation, had not attended worship since I had come as pastor. And I'd been there for about eight or nine months. And I checked back through the attendance records and realized that she had not attended church since her grandfather had been buried from that very sanctuary. And so I reached out to her and thought perhaps she was dealing with a little bit of grief or a little bit of concern, and I said, you know, I noticed that you haven't attended church since I've become pastor. I'd really like for you to come, but I also noticed you haven't attended since your your grandfather died. And after kind of pleasantries and hemming and hawing for a little bit, she told me that she had a very hard time having attended his memorial service where he was eulogized Right into heaven. He was such a wonderful elder, such a great deacon. He'd been a thoughtful, thoughtful usher, a kind person who had given of himself and was definitely one of the saints. Well, she is his granddaughter, knew that for many years he had been vile and abusive in all of his treatments of her. She wasn't coming to church because she couldn't deal with the praise without just feeling. Nauseous. Praise to the skies, he was. And she just couldn't. Her grandmother would always say, don't speak ill of the dead, I don't want to hear about it, he's gone, it's not fair. So she had just decided not to speak. At all. It was at that moment that I pledged myself to be very, very, very careful when speaking at a funeral or a memorial Praise is a very dangerous thing because you just don't know. It's my desire to confine the remarks as those things which are only objectively provable. Education, employment, relatives, activities. And to be most very, very careful. Because someone out there may be stinging from what that departed saint had done in life or who they were to them. And yet, today, we sang for all the saints. But we don't sing because they were better than us. Not because they were bright and shining examples, all of them, of virtue or wisdom or kindness or purity, we sing simply because for them they have rested from their labor. What does the verse say? We feebly struggle, they perhaps in glory sign. Yet all are one, for all are thine. God grant us grace in our feeble struggles. God grant them rest. Even those who denied rest of others in life, but for them life has passed. And it is ours to shine those who have lorded over us and made our lives hard, they too shall pass, as we shall too. But from them may we learn a gentle touch and in the end also know rest. Amen. Please stand and join with me in our affirmation of faith in the Apostles' Creed with a particular focus on the communion of saints. I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth.